Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. It is Tuesday, January 16th. We are here live. It's time for the Power Hour. Bruce is here with me. I'm pretty sure we'll be joined by Pete and Leroy here any second. So uh, I'm going to bring Bruce on and we will get started. We'll be taking your calls as well. Go ahead and line them up. We've got those phone lines open. Hit the dial now button or call now on your app or the phone number today, 319-527-6791. It looks like Pete and Leroy are here. We've got some calls coming in. We're going to get started. Bruce, good morning and welcome. Good morning, Kevin. Sounds like you're in a concert hall. It, um, it, it's, yeah, I am kind of, I'm over at the, um, the homestead and my equipment's weird today. So you're getting a big echo out of this room I, I, on the app. I don't think it's quite as bad, but, um, okay. yeah, it's been, a That's okay. We, we can still understand you. There you go. So, so um, any crazy weather stories today? Oh God. I made a mistake up Colorado and beautiful snow and came down to Florida and it's horrible rain. It's uh, it's raining visibility right now is about 300 feet. Wow. It's just terrible. Yeah. Absolutely terrible. Every- they tell me it's been raining for three weeks. I don't know. I just got back here on Saturday. I shouldn't have came back. <laughs> Everybody's got some crazy Looks weather. Like the only nice weather right now in the country is uh, in Arizona. So, yeah, Hawaii, maybe. Okay. Yeah, maybe Hawaii. So Shanna Gray has the uh, MD alignment, and she does our max mileage catalyst and does our remote tune. She has S&B transportation in South Dakota. And about three days ago, about 8 o'clock in the evening, my cell phone rang, and it was Shanna. And uh, she had to tell me a story. Her husband had got out the snow mo- snow blower in the South Dakota, and it was hardly running. I guess maybe it had old gasoline in it and stuff, and so it wouldn't push snow. So he put one cc of the max mileage catalyst in the one gallon fuel tank, and it came to life. And he said it has never blown snow that good. So the next day I, in Colorado, I have to get out my little Honda snowblower, and I didn't have any gasoline for it. And I had this old can, two gallons, and I opened it to smell it to see if it was gasoline. It hardly even smelled like gasoline, so I stuck a piece of wood in it and lit it with a match, and it burned, but it didn't burn very well. So I thought, oh, I was thinking of Shanna's husband, so I hurried up and put two cc's of catalyst in it. And, Went to blowing snow and worked good. So there you go. I was just shocked that there was absolutely no smell of gasoline left at this stuff. Hey. All right, and hey, hey Bruce. One of my projects today uh, is I'm gonna yes. Hold on, uh, on that topic, I got to say I'm I'm pretty impressed with this uh, 1972 Ford tractor I've got. So. It was um, three degrees here the other morning, and we've probably got. Oh, almost 18 to 24 inches of that snow you like from Colorado. It is so cold here. We've got Mm -hmm. this crazy light powder. It's just, but I needed to plow the driveway because it was getting deep. And I thought, man, there's no way that thing's going to start. 
And I thought I had a can of starting fluid around him, looking all over the place. I couldn't find it. And I thought, you know, I'm just going to try it anyway. Uh, it, it didn't start right up, but it started easier than I thought it would and ran great. And you had the max mileage in it? I do. Yeah, I started putting it in everything now. Good. Oh, that's good. That's awesome. Okay. So, Heidi, the girl that we were talking about last week that we had her from 4.4 to 5.6 up to 7.6. Yeah. The other day she was traveling. She's actually from Colorado, so she gets most of the freight that's in Wyoming and Colorado. And But she was traveling across 50 in Colorado, heading south to Texas, and she was early. So she had slowed way down to 57, 58, and she was recording 8.1 mile per gallon. Wow. This ISX with this 12 speed. And we don't know the gear ratio yet. And I said, well, what do you think of driving a slower speed? She says, oh, this is hard. I'm used to going 74, 75. And I said, but you'll get used to it. And then when you get used to the sound of the truck, and then you go back up to 74, you'll be surprised at how much harder it's working. And I'm not, and, and I, again, I said to her, I'm not asking you to go slow all the time. Just go slower when you're early and you have time to kill. So, yeah. Yeah, we've actually, you know, 4.4 to 8.1, and, and uh, we haven't had the truck in our shop yet. So Wow. That's pretty impressive. To getting this this Kenworth with the uh, X15 up into the nine mile per gallon, and I have a call. I'm going to be talking to Kenworth this afternoon on building a new truck for an owner operator with 228 gears and a 12 speed auto, and see how far I can get with them. Excellent. Hey, Bruce, we've uh, we've got Shauna on the line. If you want to talk to her, ah, oh, she is on the line. Yeah. Hello, Shauna. Oh, well, hold on. I'll bring her on right now. She's, uh, I see her there on the board. Shauna, good morning. Good morning. Well, great to have you here. Howard. You know, she... Yeah. First time calling in the Kevin show. I do call in on the MD because we've been a MD um, alignment shop for about two and a half years now. And after doing that, uh, started, I'd been using the catalyst in my semis for probably eight, nine years. And so we decided to be a catalyst dealer. Now we are doing the tunes and um, we got the OPS systems, all of that. But yeah, the snowblower trick—it's it, it, so funny. We tell that to everybody. We we run the catalyst a little bit in our boat. I mean, the difference in the power is night and day. But I mean, even in the uh, chainsaw, I just it, just a couple drops, but it sure makes a difference. But right now, it's been oh, you know, an average forty below zero with the wind chill. So the cold snap is running out of here like hotcakes right now, too. So, Yeah, there you go. Hey, you know, I, I love that whole idea of, you know, w within the tribe, we've created this new business opportunity. There's a, a lot of owner-operators and small fleets that do all the things you're talking about, and I think it's great. Yeah, I'm a special yeah. kind of crazy. I started, I own trucks that are leased onto another carrier. Um, I do safety consulting. Uh, for small owner operators and even some companies have I've got one with 55 trucks and five terminals and then just because of my tire wear on my trucks uh, listening to you guys got to know the Bickets and it made a 
huge difference. I went from getting about 80,000 on my Michelin XL steers to I just did 168 before I had to change them. Wow. So that was night and day. Yep. Yeah, that's big. All I right. Love all the Pittsburgh Power products. Bruce has been a great uh, resource and just want to keep helping everybody improve in all areas. So. Well, we love Anybody that. in the South Dakota by I-90 in Sioux Falls, look us up. There you go. Isn't it a wonderful feeling, Shauna, when you can help somebody with their truck, especially if they're struggling, and you can help make them become more successful, and you can oh, make them absolutely. go from hating their truck to loving their truck? Absolutely. We had one in uh, about a month or a month and a half ago. Poor guy was only getting 25000 out of his steer tires had been into alignment shops I don't know how many times. Well, his steer axle was bent, and there was just no way to fix it. So we replaced the steer axle, and the guy says he's never had anything better. And he is running Catalyst in his truck, too, and I know they're, they're big listeners to all the tribe shows. So, Well, good. Good. Yeah. yeah. Well, you guys, I, I, I don't care if it's raining, Bruce. I would, I would love the rain instead of this bitter, bitter, bitter cold. I'd... <laughs> It just sucks. <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah. The bitter cold is bad. I, I like Colorado when it's 25 or 30, blue sky and sunshine, and a foot of fresh snow so we can snowmobile on it. There you go. Hey, hey you guys. Hey, Shauna, have you yeah. ever had frostbite? I got frostbite last week for the first time in my life. Close my to, but I. I have two spots on each cheek that are peeling right now, and I've never had this happen. So I'm going to have some new skin. Yeah, well, I've had that happen a long, long time ago on the top of my ears. So I'm I'm getting smarter and make sure that there's plenty of layers. (laughs) Yeah, the problem with snowmobiling is you've got to get rid of the entrained heat or your goggles fog. So you can only wrap your face so much. You know, you have to get have airflow. And it was, it was, I think, about eight or ten degrees, and we went out, and it was a, it was a great ride. But wow, it was cold. Uh, the last time I did that, we went up to Brainerd, and I think it took me three days to warm up. Why don't you and your husband come to our owner-operator snowmobile conference in Grand Lake, Colorado, uh, on the 21st? <laughs> Yeah, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll think about that. But, you know, one thing that would be really good for your uh, frostbite is the bolt's not curable. It works wonders. And for cracked skin in the winter, just check check that out. What's it called? It's bolt's not. I know, just, I love the name, but it's called curable. It's a trucker handball. But it is, oh, I okay. put it on everything, but it would really... I've got a, a guy who uh, had his uh, wife had skin cancer and come up to me at a show and he goes, does that cure cancer? I said, no. It, but one thing it does is with all the treatment, it was so itchy and she kept putting stuff on. She'd put this on and wouldn't have to reapply it like every hour like she was doing with the treatment she was going through. Well, after the show, I'll call you and give you my address and credit card. I'll send, I'll send you a jar. Okay. So. You got it. All right, you guys See have in a great three day. hours. All right. Thank you. <laughs> Bye-bye. Take care. All right, good talking to you. All right, Bruce, what else you got today? All right, we have a farmer in Texas that has a new model 1162 Vario MT. It's a tractor made in Germany, F-E-N-D-T, Fend. 
It's got a man diesel engine in it, 618 horsepower. He burns 27 gallons of fuel per hour, but he's using two and a half gallon of DEF per hour. So we thought that seemed a little bit high, it's like 9%. So that's one of our projects we're gonna be working on this week. And this thing has a variable transmission like a snowmobile. I'd love to get some schematics and see how they're doing that in a farm tractor, but uh, it's pretty interesting. I've been looking at this tractor and uh, it'll be interesting to see what we're able to do. And then I'm gonna have to lean on Leroy to see if he can come up with a tune for it. Yeah. This is the first Leroy's heard about it, so he doesn't know. (laughs) So that's one of my weekly projects. Got it. And what else did I have? that's that's what I have for right now. So got it. All right. Well, let's um, let's see what uh, where'd they go? Um, oh, there they are. Let's see what Pete and Leroy have to say this morning. Good morning, guys. Good morning, Kevin. How are you today? Doing good. What uh, what kind of crazy weather stories do you guys have? So it's snowing really nice today. I mean it's absolutely beautiful I, I have a nice corner office with a bunch of windows and it's really coming down like a snow globe so happy to see that we've uh really haven't had much snow here and the ski resorts around here been pretty poor shape so happy to see that i'm happy to see this I, I was stuck in the middle of the road for 45 minutes while a freaking volvo just sat in the middle of the road and didn't move it just sat there <laughs> it it had to be because it was a volvo right it had to be a Volvo. <laughs> sitting there. It probably was, yeah. <laughs> it was cold this morning with the cold weather coming through. But again, western Pennsylvania weather, so we need to expect it. Yeah, so here's our crazy forecast. We, we've had really cold temperatures for us. To be in single digits here is almost unheard of. We've, we've been here 12 years. I've never seen anything like this as far as temperatures. We've got a ton of snow out here at the farm, not a lot of wind, but at home, we had snow the other day with 60 to 80 mile an hour winds in the gorge. And they've been like that for almost three days now. The wind hasn't died down. So you'll have huge patches where there's no snow on the ground and then you'll have six foot drifts because it's blowing so hard. Now, here's what they're predicting today. We've been dealing with this since last Friday. Now today, it's gonna start warming up, but the, the prediction, depending on where you are in the gorge, we might get four more inches of snow, then it's going to turn to freezing rain, and they think we could get three quarters of an inch of freezing rain. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's going to be a problem. So did that, any, any van trailers get blown over with that wind? I haven't seen any yet. Um, we don't ever see that in the gorge, mostly because the wind is always parallel with the road. Yes, that's what I was thinking. Yeah, the gorge is like a giant tunnel, and the road runs right down through the gorge, and the wind is either blowing straight east or straight west in the gorge, so you really never get a crosswind that would take a truck over Mm -hmm. like Wyoming and that kind of stuff you see. But uh, right now here at the the homestead, what we've got is we got about, uh, I'm gonna say about six to eight inches last Friday, and it was really warm. It was like 32, 33 degrees while it was snowing. So it was real heavy and wet. 
Then it got a little warmer and started to melt. Then it froze. So we've got about five or six inches underneath frozen. Then we got probably another 12 to 18 inches of really nice powder. And now we might get freezing rain on top of that. Wow. And you're heating with only wood? So right now in this house, I've got, uh, I keep coming out here. I've been going back and forth twice a day to keep the wood burner going out here. Um, I've got a couple little oil heaters that I'm using like in the barn, uh, the chicken coop, the pump house. I've got a couple at one end of the house just to keep some plumbing warm. But most of the time right now, even at, you know, single digits, the house is too hot. With that wood burner going 24 hours a day, it's almost always too hot in here right now. But um, I was trying to keep the pump house warm um, where the wellhead is. And yesterday I came back. Um, was it yesterday, I think? Yeah, I came out here and I've got a burst pipe in there. I had water running out the pump house when I got here yesterday. So I had to turn off all the water and now I'll have to fix that when it warms up. Well, you really created yourself a lot of extra work by buying that place. <laughs> you are not kidding. Um, I don't regret buying it. I absolutely love it out here. But the fact that we're not ready to live out here yet is what's creating a lot of extra work. Because mm -hmm. I got to be over here to, okay. you know, most of the time I could just let it go. It's not a big deal. But single digit temps, this place wasn't built for that. And I've got water everywhere. I've got all kinds of irrigation wow. and yeah, so. Um, yeah, I had a friend in Frisco, Colorado, and he owned a tow, towing service and he passed away. But his saying was, there's no heat like wood heat. Oh, I absolutely love this wood stove. I told you about this. It's that soapstone and it's got cat. Oh, I found out what the catalyst is. Remember we talked about this. It. You can make the smoke instead of going out the flue, you've got a valve to change how much of the smoke is forced up through the catalyst and then out the flue. And you can go from wide open to closed all the way and all the smoke has to go through there. When the smoke is pushed through the catalyst like a honeycomb, smoke will burn, but it burns at 1200 degrees. The catalyst makes the smoke burn at 500 degrees. So now you can get the stove up to about 600 on the top. I've got a thermometer on the top. I can get the stove to about 600 degrees on the top. And then the catalyst burns the smoke and slows down so your wood lasts longer. You walk outside the, the stove 600 degrees packed with wood and you can't see any smoke coming out the chimney. That's pretty awesome. So the max mileage catalyst lowers the burn rate of soot from a thousand degrees to 750 right and a catalytic item you have takes yours from 1200 to 500 yeah yeah it's platinum and palladium are the two metals for the catalyst hmm interesting yeah and it wears out the the catalyst gets consumed I'm assuming the metal coating gets consumed over time as it reacts with the smoke. So I went to order one yesterday because I don't, it, it works really good. Like I said, I can get the um, top of the stove up to 600 degrees. 
but I was going to buy a new catalyst and put a new one in now to see if I can see a difference because over time it will degrade. Except I went to buy the catalyst and our supply chain, it's back ordered. They have no idea when I can get one. But then while I'm on the site, get this, I thought I'm already on the site, can't get the catalyst because it's back ordered, but they had a tool set that I don't have and it's specific to this stove. So, you know, each tool does a different thing and it's made just for the stove and there's a stand. So I thought, I, you know, I'll buy, buy that. So it was a hundred bucks between the two of them. It's not that heavy, they're fairly small. I was just getting ready to check out and I was kind of in a hurry, not paying attention. And I just happened to look at the total price. I'm like, wait a minute, why is that so high? I thought maybe I had something in the cart I didn't realize. The shipping for a $100 order was $198, and that was UPS ground. Not overnight, not priority overnight, not two-day. It was UPS ground, and it was $198 shipping. Wow. Yeah, so needless to say, I didn't order it. Is this a pallet? No, it, it would have been. I, I'll bet these tools don't even weigh 30 pounds total. I bet it's like 15 to 20 pounds is all it was. Uh-huh. It's a little stand and a couple fireplaces. Uh, that, that must have been the freight all the way from China. I, I, yeah, what could that possibly be? So that's my thoughts on our supply chain. The one thing I wanted to order, I couldn't. The two things I decided to order cost me twice as much to ship them as I was going to pay for them. So in speaking of that, the last time I bought DEF, my 2016 Ram, Trump was president, two and a half gallon was $12 at Advance Auto Parts. So last week I was at O'Reilly Auto Parts in Kremlin, Colorado, and I pick up the Peak DEF. I set it on the counter, two and a half gallon, and the girl says $23.88. Wow. I said, no, 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 you're mistaken. It's $12. She said, no, it's $23.88, and you can buy spend as much as $27, and the $27 one has a cleaner in it for your injector. <laughs> for two and a half gallons. And so I'm going to go now buy it at truck stops and buy it in bulk and buy five gallons at a time. But uh, Mr. Biden has let that price go up by 95%. Yeah, that's crazy. Three that- years. I mean, it's just shocking to me. Every time I go out to buy something, you know, in your mind, you know what you think you know what the price is, and until you go to check out, and, and then you get the sticker shock, and it's like, wow. Yeah. So. That's for sure. All right. Anybody California have anything already else? Sent me a letter to, California already sent me a letter to have my uh, 2016 Ram reprogrammed. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah, you're, you're going to you get right that on that, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, I'm going to run right down to Dodge and say, yeah, go ahead and castrate my great running truck. No, I don't think so. Yeah, exactly. All right, anyway. do we have anything else or do we want to get to oh, some calls? Oh, hey, hey, one one other story. Sure. One other story, guy guy with a uh, DD-15 with the one box running the, the Max Miley's Callus went slightly over a million miles before he had to replace the one box. How many? So, uh, slightly over one million miles before replacing the one box. Got it. Okay. That's certainly better than and most. We've seen some of them fail at 600 and 800,000. He went over a million. 
he had a piston issue in the truck at 865,000, so Detroit went through the engine. But uh, he said the one box outlived the engine. That's good. Yeah. All right. Yeah, all good news. All right. Okay. Let, let's get to some phone calls. If you want to join us, jump in. The okay. phone number, 319. You didn't ask. You, didn't, you forgot Leroy. Leroy, what do you have today? You're right, I did forget Leroy. I think you kind of forgot Pete, too. Yeah, well, see, I did I did say, just to cover everybody, I said, does anybody have anything before we go to the phone? So you guys got to speak up. I don't want to leave Pete out. <laughs> so the thing I, I would have is um, shop availability. It's freeing up. So if someone needs something, unlike before where, where we were months behind, we can squeeze you in a lot quicker. So if someone needs something, you know, by all means, give us a call and we'll get you squeezed in. Good. Um, there has to be some advantage to this economy slowing down, and I guess that's one of them. Yes. Yeah. 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 So, you know, I had one uh, observation. Uh, see, we're always talking about fuel mileage, and I track fuel mileage in my Bronco every week when I fill up. I write it down. And, uh, summertime, I'll, I'll do 32. Uh, I'm down to 29 you know, this time of year, and you know where I'm driving hasn't changed any. I do idle a little bit more uh, this time of year. I'll hit the start button, you know, five seven minutes before I get into it. It doesn't idle for hours or anything like that. But you know, uh, a lot of reasons for fuel mileage to decline. But one thing I noticed: one section on the way to work, it's fairly flat road and it's 55, so I'm doing 60. Uh, it goes down to a dip and comes back up. And I'll hit the cruise off and just coast to the stop sign, which is, you know, half a mile away if there's no one behind me. Just kind of coast, and, uh, you know, for fuel mileage. Yeah. I noticed um, this week it was six degrees out, and I did the same thing. And I made it about half as far coasting at six degrees than I normally do when it's, you know, 30 or 40 or 50 outside. Yeah. I was shocked what a difference the, the rolling resistance had at hey. six degrees. Hey. Now, this is, you know, a Bronco Sport. So, really, there's multiple things going on when the air is that cold. You do have increased rolling resistance, increased mechanical resistance through all the gearbox, the wheel bearings, U-joints, all of those things have more resistance because of the cold. But the one thing people don't think about, and it's, it's almost the biggest factor at that temperature, is that air is really dense. It's hard to. It's much harder to push through six degree air than sixty degree air or eighty or ninety degree air. I never thought about that side of it. That cold air yeah, is very it, dense. It was shocking. How, like I said, I, I usually coast and like I hit the cruise off in the same spot and, and coast and yeah, ever coast to the stop and, and oh, like holy crap, it literally was like half the distance. <laughs> yeah. And, and you know, I don't have eighteen wheels, so you can see on a truck why. The fuel mileage drops so bad in the wintertime. I mean, right. You've got a lot more factors to do. You know, I have two U-joints on the truck and not multiple U-joints and, and um, you know, one rear end instead of two and, and so forth. Yeah, you have. Surprise trucks don't lose more fuel mileage than what they do when it comes to cold weather. Yeah, you've got um, four wheel bearings or four wheel positions instead of, what, 16. Um, mm -hmm. Is that right? Yeah, a lot more. Um, yeah, all, all of those, the, the gearboxes, the differentials, the power divider, 
wheel bearings, all of those things have a lot of increased mechanical resistance with the cold. The The fluids are all getting really thick. Now, synthetic has, has made a big improvement in all that. When we used to run uh, conventional oils in the, the gearboxes and the differentials, that made a, that was a big problem in the wintertime until you got them at least warmed up a little bit. Yeah. I'm sure the Bronco, I mean, it, it's a year old. It has synthetic in the diffs and, and the I'm transmission. Sure. I don't know for sure. Yeah. Um, in the engine. Um, you know, so that's a little bit of less of a factor, <laughs> you know, years ago. But I, I was just shocked to see that. I just didn't think it would make, I, I know it makes a difference. I mean, we know rolling resistance and, of course, to wind and, and so forth. But I was shocked that it made that much of a difference. It was that noticeable to me. How much? Right. Yeah. All right. Leroy. It's your turn to shine. Yeah, so. You better have something good after we went through all this. <laughs> That's true. Well, I'll try my best. So all right. I just wanted to do a short word on the difference between, you know, resistance and conductivity. Sometimes when you're doing a resistance check or a continuity check on a circuit within your truck, sometimes you'll see that you're getting good continuity but then when you find out you put a load on the circuit, meaning that you expect the wire to hold some sort of amperage, you get a bigger voltage drop than what you would normally. So things that would normally cause that would be a good example is like when your battery terminals are, are corroded. So because corrosion and all that stuff that is built up doesn't conduct electricity to the same as when they are clean, you have reduced conductivity. Even though you could probably put your multimeter across it and see that it's zero ohms of resistance. Resistance and continuity are not the same thing. Res resistance is a, a sort of a measurement of how much the, the circuit is going to reduce current flow. And conductivity is sort of like that, but you can think of conductivity more of like, if you had a, an 18 gauge wire and about two feet long, and if you run an amp through it, it's not a big deal, and it shows zero resistance, you know, good continuity. If you wanted to run 100 amps through that 18-gauge wire, you can imagine what's going to happen. The wire is going to melt, the insulation, because the wire can't conduct that sort of current flow. So when you're doing sort of circuit checks on your truck, whether you're checking uh, to ground or not, sometimes just resistance checks aren't enough. And the only real way you can kind of get around checking that is having some sort of dynamic load tester they sell them on amazon they're like i think 90 bucks or something like that and it, it essentially adds a lower resistance part to your circuit to create an even bigger voltage drop to show whether the circuit conducts enough electricity or not so moral of the story even though you've got good continuity just always double check put a load on it even like a uh, like a light bulb or something something to drag the uh the circuit down that's just something to uh to keep in mind with troubleshooting Got it. Good tip. I love that. One. But what what tool what tool do we use to determine that? To, so we either have a dynamic load tester, which is a sort of a small um, tool that we can plug into our multimeter, and it has a variable resistor on it. So it goes in line with your multimeter and puts a resistance in the circuit to drag it down, and then we can see what I, I'm doing air quotes what the working voltage would be if there was a load on it. That's how we would normally check it here. Okay. So when you explain that to us, and as the bus said, are mechanically inclined, you're an electrical engineer and we are not. So 
you'd really have to go into depth and explain that. So let's say we're going to run a wire and you go to the auto parts store and you buy a roll of wire and it's 18 gauge versus 16, 14. Are you better off to run a heavier wire versus a lighter wire to make sure that you have enough wire to carry the voltage? Um, so it depends on what you're hooking up. Generally, bigger is safer. If you have the room for it and you don't care about weight or size, then yeah, the, the bigger the wire, the better. But um, there's actually charts online. You can just sort of Google um, conductor size amp charts. Uh, you could do something like that. And then you could be able to see that, uh, I'm trying to pull one up here, that like an 18-gauge wire, what does it say here? Uh, that's not a one. But anyway, like an 18-gauge wire can carry something like 10 amps or 14 amps or something like that. So most of the time, small wires are good. But if you have the room for it and you have the wire, bigger is always safer. Okay. So we walk into Lowe's, Home Depot, or Ace, or True Value Hardware Store, and we're looking for an extension cord, 50 foot, say. And there's a cheap one that's... What are the, the small ones that are about a quarter inch in diameter? What gauge are those versus the heavy one? But it's the heavy one's three times the price. How are we supposed to know whether we're running an air compressor or a shop vac or whatever, an electric heater? How are we supposed to know as laymen which extension cord we need? Well, what you could do is you know that you have about 120 volts coming out of the wall. And if you know that that certain outlet goes to somewhere in your breaker box on a 10 amp circuit, then you would know by the basic equation of figuring out wattage that, you know, it's volts times amps, that the maximum that that wall outlet can do is 1200 watts. So most electrical devices, when you buy them, you can flip them over and they say how many watts that they draw. Like a a hair dryer is a thousand watts. A, a space heater is a thousand watts. That's about as much as you can pull out of one singular wall outlet. Now it depends on the length of the the, the circuit and things like that. But generally, any more than ten amps or so, you're running into the chance of tripping that breaker. And the same thing happens if you have like a, a twenty amp breaker, then it's spread out a little bit more. So when you go into the the hardware store and you're picking on cord my sort of rule of thumb would be if it's a short extension cord you can go with the smaller wire because the thing with longer wire is the, mo the longer it is the more resistance it has and the more resistance it has the more heat that it builds and that's what causes fires especially when you're running you know a, a 1200 watt device that's 75 feet away that's gonna that's gonna be what causes the extension cord so if you're getting like a, a 10 foot or less one don't be afraid to get the small cheap ones if you're running something far away, I would get a little bit more expensive one. And or if you were running some sort of heavy-duty device, uh, like you said, like uh, probably space heaters are pretty pretty much the worst thing you can plug into the wall. I mean, they just directly convert all of your wall outlet power to, to heat. So um, that's like one of the worst things. Most, most other things that you don't really have to worry about. Um, a lot of the bigger air compressors, are 220, and that really gets rid of a lot of the uh, the heat issues, which is the higher voltage. Hey, Bruce. I bought a 110 air compressor from Granger's. It takes so long to make air, but it will make the extension cord hot. Hey, mm -hmm. hey Bruce. Uh, yes. That, that was a long, complicated answer that he just gave you. My answer was going to be, I just 
after the device has been plugged in for a while, I just grab the cord, and if I can hold it in my hand, I must be okay. <laughs> well, I, I, I tell me, Roy, we have to be technical, but we have to explain. <laughs> we have That's to explain true. this stuff. All right, let's take a block heater and a truck. Everybody has one. On average, I think they're 800 watts. So that would be like eight. 100-watt light bulbs burning, correct? Yeah. Yep, it would add up. So what size, and let's say the truck is 100 feet from the house. Okay. What gauge extension cord do you think they should have? Uh, I don't know that off the top of my head. If it were my truck, um, I, w I would probably go with the bigger one. I don't know what the, the, the gauge is off the top of my head. I don't buy extension cords a lot to know, but... Uh, yeah, I would get a thicker one if it were me. I mean, you can always get I've had the small ones, and like like Kevin said, when they get hot in your hand and they start to melt, then you know you need a bigger one. I mean, that's, you <laughs> that's can go that way. Yeah, I know, but, <laughs> but, but you don't want that laying, coming through your house and laying there and, and possibly causing a fire. So if you're going to plug into your home, you, should you be, uh, and it's going to be 50, 75, or 100 feet, should you go with like a 12-gauge? Yeah, I think most house wiring is, what, 12 or 14? Is, is that true, Pete? I, I think, yeah. I think it's 12 or 14 gauge. Either one of them is going to be able to carry enough current to uh, to do that, especially a block heater. Okay. Thank you for the lesson on electricity. Oh. I mean, we all need a, we need a refresher of that every week. So, And, and a short um, little note on, on gauge. I know we were throwing some numbers around if you don't know the smaller the number the bigger the wire so if you have it, it's backwards for whatever reason if you have like a, a 22 gauge wire that's or, or even like a 25 gauge wire that's like the same size wire that's in like your ethernet cable like those eight individual little itty bitty wires is like 25 gauge um if you have like a, a four gauge wire that's like the heavy duty battery cables and, and things like that there we go. Okay. All right. Till we, next week. We are good. Let's get to some phone calls. Let's get started in Georgia today. Bill, you're up first. Welcome. Hey, how y'all doing? Got a question. I used I use mileage, and I'm about ready to treat my fuel because I'm going up to Wisconsin where it's like sub-zero weather. The ideal temperature for... You would suggest me just leaving the truck running. Do you have an APU or Basco yes. or an SBAR? Yes. Uh, yes. yes, I've got APU and an SBAR. Oh, we're losing him. The engine. Oh, Bruce, are you hearing me? Huh. All right, we're having some technical issues here. I am not hearing anybody on the phone system. Uh, but it looks like all my signals are strong, so I'm not sure what the problem is. Uh, Pete, Leroy, Bruce, anybody hearing me? Angie, are you hearing me? Oh, boy. Uh, all right. I don't know if the weather's messing with us or what might be going on because everything looks good on my end. Let me see if I can reset some things. Uh-oh. Nope, looks like I might be having some internet issues. 
I have a feeling the weather is starting to affect us out here. Talk radio. To start your show now. Since it appears you're calling back into a live show, we are reconnecting you now. All right, everybody, I'm back. I had a hard internet drop here. Luckily, everything else kept working, so we're here and I'm back. Did we get, uh, I think we lost the caller, though. No, we got through that call. Oh, good. Oh, all right. Well, we'll go to the next one, then. Let's go to North Carolina. Charlie, welcome. Good afternoon, gentlemen. Got a question for you, Bruce. I asked Leroy last week. I've got a DDAC 5. When they rebuilt it a year ago, they were supposed to set it back to stock horsepower. I've replaced the V-Pod and the turbo. I still build 47 and a half pound of boots. What would cause that? Did 30 pounds of boost? 47 and a half. Uh, 47 and a half. Oh, wow. Yeah. So. I mean, when when I had your all's tune in it before it got rebuilt, it would build between 40 and 42. But if I put my foot in it, she'll shoot straight up to 45 and she'll keep going to about 47 and a half until I pick my foot up again. Is it still tuned or is wow. it back to stop now? Is it what? Is it back to stock or does it still have the tune in it? It's back to stock. Yeah, there's no way it should be doing 47 and a half. That's, it, there, there's something wrong with either the boost sensor reading is wrong, the V-pod's acting up, the turbo sticking. It, it's like one of a, a couple things. Okay, because as soon as I pick my foot up, she'll drop right down immediately. Yeah. Sounds like we need to get okay. you in the shop and take a look at it for you, Charlie. Sounds like yeah, the, that's the um, sounds like the uh, VG turbo is closing too much. Yeah, that's my thought. So, you know, is it a turbo issue or something in ECM telling it to close? Then we need the truck here to look that up and figure out what's going on. Okay, because I know just setting without any just setting in the parking lot. At 1,553 RPM, she'll build 10 pounds of boost. Setting in the parking lot with the brake straw. Yeah, that's high. Yeah. yeah that's too high. You're not going to get any good fuel mileage at, at that um, kind of boost either, so we need to get you in sooner than later. Well, I'm getting about 6.7 out of it. Okay. So you haven't seen it. Because what I, do, what I do is I'll just, until I can afford to bring it in, I'll just... Pick my foot up and drop a gear and keep it under 40 pounds of boost. What are you cruising at? So when you're cruising at 65 or so, what kind of boost are you making then? Maybe five pounds. Okay, well, that's good. Um, yeah, that's, that's really good. It's odd that it's not high across the board. I'm kind of puzzled by that one. At, at 70 mile per hour, I might feel as much as 12 and a half. Yeah, well, that's normal. And I thought maybe my gauge was wrong, so I set the scan gauge for boost reading off the ECM, mm-hmm. and that's how I determined that my gauge is pretty much dead on the money. Because I looked at both of them, because I was just sitting in the parking lot, one to, one to test the mechanical gauge against the computer. And they're both reading the same? They're both reading the same with them, uh, one to two tenths. Okay. But well, on the mechanical gauge, I can't read the tenths. 
whereas a scan gauge I can't. Well, scan gauge know, I, only goes to 31 and a half on this particular motor. And the Detroit shop that rebuilt the truck, when I told them about it, they told me it was good that it built that kind of boost. But I'm thinking that's too much boost for a 515 horsepower motor. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. not right. You should be at 31 pounds or 30 pounds. So Yeah. Come on down. Bring her in. Hey, I've got All a right, question. Let me, get, let, me, I, uh, let me get the money built up, and I'll be in to see you with her. Charlie, I've got a question. Uh, okay. How, how do you, are you positive that the scan gauge only goes up to 31, or is 31 the boost you should be getting right now? Bruce said that's about right where it should be. So maybe the scan gauge is reading accurately and, and your other gauge is wrong. 31 and a half is all the gauge goes to no matter what I do. All right. That stops at 31 and a half pounds of boost well, I, on I this could, particular I, motor. I, uh, all right. As long as you know that is the case, because it sounds like it's reading what we would expect the, the boost to be. And I could say the same thing on my, tr- my coach. I could say... My gauge only goes to 50 because it never goes above that. But it doesn't go above that because I don't have more boost than that. So I'm wondering if there was a time, was there a time that you knew you were producing more than 31 pounds of boost and it wasn't showing on that gauge? Yeah. Okay. All right. That's all I'm checking. Just so you know for sure that that gauge stops there. Yeah. Because when we first put the very first tune in, this was built in 37 to 40 on Bruce's right there on the dyno. Okay. All right. But the scan gauge was only going to 31 and a half. Okay. All right. Sounds like you got to get it in then. All right. Now, Kevin, I have a question for you. Okay. Angie sent me a link for Pro Miles. I need some education on doing IFTA, New York hot, Connecticut hot highway tax, because the lady that's been doing it's been kind of screwing me over. What do you need advice? She's not been doing it. She's not been following it like she's supposed to, so I'm winding up with a bunch of fines that I have to pay. So So, I want to get some type of education and start doing it myself. So I'm not sure what the, I mean, it, 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 as far as those forms, you, you just file them on the quarter when they're due. I, I'm not sure what advice I could give you on that. I mean, the, you just have to fill them out. Well, my thing is, is I've never filled one out. Well, it's fairly and simple. I want to make sure I mean, I'm going to do it right. So ProMiles, I can't remember if ProMiles files those forms for you or not. I think they do. But you, in order to get ProMiles to do your fuel tax, which it will do, it will do all of your fuel tax plus those other taxes, you have to use the system for every fuel up and every trip. So that means when you open your ProMiles account, you now will will log every trip in the system. So you're going from Dallas to San Francisco, wherever you're going, that that trip has to be logged into their system so you get all your state miles. And then you log in each fuel purchase so you get your state gallons. And then at the end of the quarter, all of the information is in there for 
you to have the software fill out all those forms. Okay. Okay. I'll have to start doing no, I, that. Yeah, the work I is not in. I think to my state miles and my fuel. Well, that's how the, that's why you have to use the ProMiles system for each trip. You route the trip through ProMiles. That gets all your state miles. Then you just put in your fuel okay. ups, and that gets all your state gallons. And that's all the information that's needed, miles and gallons. It's all the information needed to fill out all these forms. Okay. How did you do this back in the days of paper logs? Well, Bruce, here's what we used to do. 90s. We used to keep a little notepad on your dash somewhere, and you would watch your odometer, and every time you crossed the state line, you would write down the state line in the odometer. And then at the end of that trip, you would go back and keep track of all of your state miles. Wow. Which I still got that pad of paper and still write down the miles every time I cross the state line. Yeah, and, and if you're using ProMiles and you put the trip in, you do not need to do that. ProMiles will calculate all your state miles for you. Okay. All right. Now, I've got the Garmin GPS, and I put the fuel, and it calculates. Is that the same as the ProMiles? Well, it's the same, except at the end of the quarter you would have to go into Garmin and get your state miles out. You'd have to figure out where you're going to get your state gallons from. If you're putting in all the fuel ups, then Garmin will have both of those. You would then manually take that data and go, depending on the state, to a website and fill out your quarterly forms. Then you'd go do your New York hut and or you use ProMiles and it does all that for you. But it would be the same either way. Just depends on who's going to fill out the forms, you or ProMiles. Okay. All right. Well, I appreciate that, Kevin. You're welcome. And Bruce, as soon as I can get some extra money, once I get straightened back out, I will be out to see you all with this truck. I'll just keep okay. it from going, going much over 40 pounds of boost. I'll try to keep it around 37 and a half. You know, Charlie, yesterday I was thinking about you, and I said, you ha he hasn't called into the show for quite some time, and here you are today. That was just yesterday I was thinking about you. Yeah, well, I don't leave away. I'm going to call in and pick your, pick your brain on it because I did put a new turbo boost sensor in, and I do know when the actuator valve on the turbo stays all the way opened up, at, uh, when you're sitting there at about 12 to 1500 RPMs, she'll come up against the stop and she'll just sit there. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. So, Charlie, we will talk to you again soon. Hey, Bruce, I've got a, uh, a funny story about that thinking about somebody. Um, when I was on the road trip this last time, um, and I wasn't making hard plans to be anywhere. I had places I wanted to try and stop and see people, but my schedule kept changing, so I wasn't really making any plans. Well, one of the places I wanted to stop was um, Fleet Air Filter to see David Counts because I was going to be in the panhandle there, Florida, anyway. I was down there in uh, Destin. 
So I did not tell David. I didn't send him an email, didn't send him a message, hadn't talked to him in months. So I'm heading over there and I pull in in the morning and I've only got like an hour to get on the air. And I I walk inside and I see David and he looks at me and he said, you're not going to believe this. And I said, what? And he said, you and I haven't talked in a couple months. He said, I woke up this morning and told Pam, I, I need to call Kevin. We haven't talked in a while. And Two hours later, I showed up. He was kind of surprised. That happens all the time in this industry. Yeah. And if if somebody doesn't believe in karma, you better because karma is a thing that does happen. And uh, if you take advantage of people, you're going to get taken advantage of. But people, whenever you wake up in the middle of the night and you're thinking of a person, chances are you're going to see them the next day. Yeah, that's interesting. And, uh, it, yeah, it really is. Something going on there. All right, let's uh, let's go to the phones. We're going to head to Kansas this time. Jerry, welcome. Hi, Kevin. Every time I'm on hold, I come up with something else, and I'm dead serious about this. You send a message to Angie to have him, have her send Charlie my phone number, and I'll help him with it. The hell I've been doing that for so long, he's trying to make a mountain out of a molehill. <laughs> It's just so drop-dead simple. I am technologically illiterate, and I figured it out. Oh, good. Thank you it's for that offer. It's drop-dead simple. And, and Pro Miles is an absolute waste of time and money for this reason and this reason only nowadays. You are required to fill it out on your state form. Even if you fill it all out on Pro Miles, you've still got to transfer it to your no. the same information that you fill out on Pro Miles. You've got to transfer it then to your state's if the form on computer, you can't even the, fill out a paper form anymore. Well, wait, hold so on. Once he's the, got a Garmin GPS, if he's got his total miles and his total gallons, and then all the gallons by state and all the gallons by or the miles by state, you got all the information you need to put it in your form. Well, I'm going to agree with you and disagree with you. Yes, you are correct. As all long right. as you, you could use fuel gauges for your state gallons. Fuel gauges actually tracks all your state gallons if you're doing it. You could use Garmin. That would work. Unless something has changed the way I remember when ProMiles first started putting in fuel tax filing, you were actually filing at the state. The system transferred it for you to the state form digitally, not on paper. And, and that that may be. I, back when I used it, you filled it out on ProMiles and you actually printed it out and sent yeah. it to the state. Right. And they required you to do it. And, that, and you may be right on that nowadays. I don't. I haven't used it for so long. But it's no. exactly the same format on the state site as it is on the ProMiles site. So why pay for a ProMiles fee okay. to do the same thing you can do for free on the state system? Well, I'll tell you another reason to pay that fee every month is because while you're putting your trip into the, the routing part of ProMiles, ProMiles will tell you exactly where you should get your fuel on that trip to get the best price with fuel tax calculated for you. And every time I've ever calculated it, you more than make up for the savings by the fuel savings than you're paying for the service every month. Now, could you do that manually? You could. You could find other tools to go check that kind of stuff. But Having a ProMiles account where I put in the dispatch, it gives me my best fuel price on the whole route, and then at the end of the quarter, my fuel tax is done. That's pretty convenient for me. 
And it doesn't cost yeah, anything. The savings alone pays for the service. You're disregarding the uh, benefit of using the NASTIC app. Well, the there's... Miles, they don't know what the NASTIC stops are. That use could be, too. App. That, that could be, too. So there are different options. If you've got the NASTIC card and you're using their service, you will know the best place to get your fuel. Exactly. So that, anyway, if, I mean, seriously, I'm, I'm dead serious about that. If Angie wants to send Charlie my phone number, I'll be glad to walk him through it. It's just not, not real difficult at all. Angie has I've already... Angie's already done that. She's on it. All right. Well, I'll do that. Yeah, all right, then let's get on to what I called about. Bruce, you're overthinking those extension cord deals. Always buy the heavier one because you can always do a light-duty job with a heavy-duty extension cord, but you should never try to do a heavy-duty job with a light-duty extension cord. So if you don't have any light-duty extension cords around, you don't have to think about it. You just grab an extension cord and go do what you want to do. Always buy the heaviest one. <laughs> never, I never know, get something better. You know, whenever you... Uh... You need a 50-footer to run a shop back. You don't need a uh, that heavy of a of a an extension cord. The next time you need that 50-foot, that but the next time you the next time you need that 50-foot extension cord, you might be plugging in a block heater. So just buy the heavier one yeah. and run with it. So anyway, hey, I'm okay. anyway, the reason I the reason I called is is I love this show, but so many times when people call in with mechanical problems, and Kevin's last word says keep us posted, and nobody ever follows through there is so much good information and i love hearing it all but you never hear the end of the chapter because you don't the guy never calls back in and says yep this fixed it so i'm here to write the last chapter of my saga about two years ago i started having an engine fan come on when it was bitter cold you'd be driving down the road the operating temperature was clear up where it should be and your engine fan had kicked on i'd pull over to rest stop or an exit ramp or somewhere shut the truck off Start it up again, and the engine fan would be off, and everything's fine. It did that for, it's done that for two winters now. This past fall, it did it a couple of times, and then I had a startability issue. It wouldn't start when it was 30 degrees. Just crank and crank and crank and crank, and I called into the show, and Pete and Leroy suggested it could only be a couple of two things, and either the fuel solenoid or the uh, ECM. It was not the fuel shutoff solenoid. It was, in fact, the ECM, I believe, because I put a new ECM on it in December. I never had any hesitation on starting now and in the minus 20 and minus 30 degree temperatures i've been operating in my engine fans never come on when it's not supposed to so i'm just writing the last chapter of that and letting everybody know that it was in fact the ecm we um we try if if we talked about a problem last week and we know the cure and or we fixed it or the owner operator fixed it and lets us know we try to mention it because yep. i agree well, with you I it's nice that. to know that it's nice to know the before and the after it is and i i get so not frustrated i don't mean it that way but i always get so curious that people will call in and you'll give them all kinds of suggestions and i always want to hear well okay what did cure it you know so i'm just yes. telling you what cured it so so far it's running it started in extremely cold temperatures with no hesitation yeah. whatsoever so I, I guess I have learned the uh, that, that ECM was the original ECM on my truck with 2.75 million miles on that ECM that finally gave out. So that's the longevity of an wow. ECM, I guess. Yeah. It's done pretty, pretty good. good. So, well, it had your so, two you know, I, I, so I didn't really want to get rid of it. If the problem happened to someone else, it's going to happen to other people too. So, and, and 
the least amount of problems we can have, the easier our life can be. Uh oh, did we lose Kevin again? No, I'm I'm here. Okay, okay. I lost something anyway, so that's all I had you today. Know, I, I appreciate I, the show and Hey, hey, I'll, let me say this. Back before okay. I got into the engine business, when I was in traffic and transportation, whether I was in dispatch or worked for a, a manufacturing company, when I was with manufacturing companies, I knew the owner-operators. Hey, this is in the 70s, right? There's no cell phones. There's no phones at the uh, at the truck stops other than pay phones. We didn't have them at the at the boots. So you didn't know. Once the load left, you didn't know where it was and you always knew the owner operators that always came through for you and gave you the best service i didn't care what the price was i cared about uh, is our product getting delivered on time and in one piece and so uh, whenever you would eliminate a problem for me because i moved about 35 36 shipments a week uh, that that meant i was going to use you again so we want to eliminate problems, and that's how we do it in the diesel engine business. We don't want people to have reoccurring problems. Well, you're a good man, Bruce. I appreciate all the help, and your crew's pretty good crew. So that's all I had for today, Kevin. All right. Thanks for the Thank call. Uh, hey, Bruce, speaking of extension cords and, and size, how about the uh, – have you ever had a – 75 foot 50 amp extension cord for or 100 even 100 foot 50 amp cord for an rv yes there weighs about 70 pounds <laughs> exactly now that's a big extension cord no i got one for a boat 50 foot 50 amp it was seven or nine hundred dollars and you roll it up at my age, it's all I can do is to carry that thing. Yeah, they're they're big, really big, and really heavy. And I'll I'll also tell you, try dealing with one on a day like today when it's seven degrees outside. Right. Because then they are um, really stiff. You know, one of my complaints on snowmobile trailers are the cord that plugs the trailer into the pickup truck. Now, these people that make a snowmobile trailer know it's going to be cold. Why not put a better grade of wire on so it doesn't get hard? Yeah, I agree. You can move it. By the way, I do have an almost brand new 50-foot, 50-amp cord for sale. It's 50-foot 50, 50 or 75. Might be 75 feet if you need one, Kevin, or if anyone needs one. I bought it for a boat and only kept the boat one uh, one summer or one winter, so got it. I, th I like the thirty amp I like the thirty amp cords better, so much easier to work with. Oh yeah, no doubt. No doubt. And honestly, if it's gonna be that cold anyway, thirty amp is all I need because I can run everything in the coach on thirty amp except the air conditioners. Right. So and and with thirty amp I can actually run one of the three air conditioners. If I try to run two and anything else comes on, I start popping breakers. So people that are out there that are fishermen know the quality of a Grady White fishing boat. But why in the world for a 37-foot boat do they have to run a 50-amp and uh, when all the other 37-footers run a 30-amp? Yeah. If anyone needs one, I have one for sale. So There you go. 
All right. We are heading off to Oklahoma this time. Paul, welcome. Howdy. From frigid but sunny Oklahoma. What's on your mind today? 16 degrees today. Um, well, last week I called in. I had that code for, which pointed towards a knock sensor. So I'm a little bit selective at where I take my truck. So I don't really like going to Peterbilt because they're too damn slow and they're too friggin' expensive. And another shop I have used, eh, they tend to rip you off a little bit. You get the job done, but they jack the prices up. So at the Petro truck stop in Oklahoma City, they have two very long-serving mechanics there. Prop, not, not lube jockeys, proper mechanics. One guy has worked for the Petro for... 25 years, I think it is, at the same location. So he's worked on my truck a few times, just simple stuff. But I've got to know him over the years, and it's like, yeah, I trust this guy. So I just, on Friday, I went in there, I said, when's Scott working next? And so uh, he's on on Sunday morning at 8 o'clock. I said, can I make an appointment for Sunday morning? Yeah. So Sunday, it's 5 degrees or something stupid, and off I go, drive into town get there, unhook the trailer, and my flexible hydraulic hoses were stiff as a, stiffer than your 50-amp frozen cord. <laughs> but I, I got the trailer unhooked and pulled in there. So he asked what was happening. He hooked up the computer. He got underneath the truck, looked for exhaust leaks and everything, and uh, just checked stuff in general. And then he looks in the computer again, and he's like, well, it's got that code. He said, but... I'm not showing any other problems. And he said, we'll just run a regen and everything and see if it completes the regen. There was no incomplete regens or anything. So about an hour later, it completes the regen and the check engine light had gone off and everything was complete. And I was thinking, well, hook up the computer diagnostic. There'll be $200 for that. And then an hour and a half for labor. So hour and a half times 138 or whatever they're at these days. I thought, yeah, I'll be $360, Well, they only charged me $128.99 for diagnostic and one hour's labor, no parts, and the shop fee, and I got out of there for $245. So I was, I was surprised. But, yeah. So, But like Kevin's always talking about building relationships, well, I've kind of got to know this guy over the years, and... I trust them to work on my truck, so I decided I'd go there, and it seems like it paid off, but all I did was put the truck back home, but I didn't have any code or check engine lights come on, but everywhere I can go and load, it's too freaking cold and nobody's working, so all that closed, so I'm at home. Okay. You're and at home enjoying the it, cat? Well, I'm getting grocery shopping, but he says it's too freaking cold at the moment, too. So if he had any nuts, they would have froze off. So, <laughs> so But when when I buy an extension cord, I always buy one that has the ground, the ground, the grounding plug in it, you know, the three-prong plug. I don't know whether right. that makes any difference, but I always feel better with the... I'm not a fan on those, just the two-prong ones. I like the grounded one, so... But you can still buy the grounded one and be a very thin wire, too, so. Yeah, so that's all I got today. I thought I'd just let you know that sometimes the big chain truck stops, they might not rip you off all the time. There you go. All right. Good stuff. 
we are going to move a lot. Hey, we're actually down to our uh, final phone call. If you want to jump in, now would be the time. Hit call now on your app or the phone number today, 319-527-6791. Let's go to Kansas. Steve, welcome. Hey, thanks, guys. Take my call. All right, question on, uh, first of all, I got a 2019 Kenmore T680, and yes, unfortunately, it's got the Packard in it. Sorry, but it is what it is. It's what I could buy it when I bought it. But question for it is, is I do use the uh, max mileage, have been for quite some time, and uh, it's done me really well. When I first started using it, this thing was going about 130 miles on a gallon of depth, and it went as far as up to about 200 miles on a gallon of depth with using max mileage. So it's performing really well. Well, I picked up a load about a week ago, picked up a load out of Laredo, had to go all the way up to Tacoma, Washington, a couple of two or three stops, and it was miserable getting there with all the snow and, and cold weather, and I had to chain up several times to get there. Got rid of the load to Tacoma, picked up another one, coming back across. Now I'm almost to Carolinas now, living in Kansas, if I said it. But anyway, coming back across, had to chain up five or six more times to get out of there to Washington and Idaho and into Montana. Well, when I got to Montana, that's where I hit the really super, super, super cold weather. I've never actually been anywhere that cold, and I've been in Canada and Alaska, and it was crazy. Negative 38 real temperature and a negative 60 mm. wind chill, mm. okay? And I couldn't get death anywhere. Not everybody's was froze up. I couldn't get it any place. And I'm like, I have no choice. i got to buy this stupid stuff in the, in the uh, truck stop by the two-and-a-half-gallon containers. So I put a two-and-a-half-gallon container in it. Go down the road, and I'm not kidding you, within 150 miles, I'm back down, and the red light's coming on. I'm like, how the hell did it go through that so fast? So I stopped, grabbed two more containers. By the way, Bruce, don't ever buy uh, the jugged-up uh, depth from a truck stop. $53 for two, two-and-a-half-gallon containers. That's five gallons for $53. Are you ridiculous? Ah, it's crazy how they rip you off. It was over $10 a gallon. Yeah, ridiculous. And I got the peak stuff, so I thought it was okay stuff. Now, the question is, it, again, it went through it like crazy. And I had to go like 13, 1,400 miles before I could finally get to a place where I could get depth from the pump and fill it up. But it had dropped down to probably was getting, I'm guessing, 70 to 80 miles out of a gallon of depth. Now, keep in mind, because the temperatures were so damn cold, I don't think a chance. I triple-treated my fuel with uh, uh, power, power, uh, what is power, uh, service, power service fuel gel treatment in the white jug. I was basically doing about triple treatments to it to make sure I wasn't gelled up. So I passed 30 or 40 trucks on the shoulders of the road gelled up, and I didn't want to take a chance. What could cause it to go through death so fast like that? Was Could it be the extreme cold of negative 38, negative 30 degrees, or is it because of the additive I put in there that would make it do that? I've never had it do that before, and I haven't been able to, once I did fill up, I haven't filled up again to see where I'm at now because most of that fuel treatment is about out of the system. So I'm back to normal fuel again. So, Leroy, didn't you, haven't you said that that usage is in line with fuel consumption, and if it's minus 38, the fuel consumption should be pretty high? Um, well, the, the first thing that I thought of, he said, is, is it the extreme cold that causes excessive death consumption? And it makes me think, if you are in extreme cold, then you would have colder than normal exhaust temps. I think that would be fair to say, right? Yeah. I was going to say at an idle. I put this thing a high idle at night. And I, did, I ran it every night. That cold temps, 
I'm not shutting it off. And I had it on high idle, and it would sit at 150 to 160 degrees all night long. And almost but, every morning, the death light would come on, and I'd have to do a regen. Yeah, you know? so the, the system is prohibited from injecting death when the temperatures are kind of anything below 370 degrees. And that's not behind right. the turbo. That's in front of the SCR. And typically, even if you hit the 370 mark, there's a, a timer that begins to happen. And it wants to see either the timer go off or the SCR outlet temp come off. So it, the system actually has to be pretty warm for it to even begin injecting def. It doesn't matter if it wants it or not. It just won't do it if it's too cold. So I don't think right. that it's the extreme cold that's causing it. I think it's it, it might be something else. I'm, I'm not sure off the top of my head. Uh, there's a number of things that causes... Uh, to go yeah, basically, if it's injecting more depth than usual, it's probably because it's seeing a lot of um, uh, uh, an elevated number of intake knocks, which by intake knocks, I mean like the, the knocks that it's reading coming out of the engine. That's most of the time when it's, it really pours on the, the depth. When the, the outlet knocks is high, it doesn't quite want to compensate as much. It usually just throws a check engine light and says, uh, I dosed the correct amount of quantity for the intake knocks. It must just be something wrong with the DEF itself or the SCR. And that's where the SCR conversion low efficiency codes come from. That's where the DEF quality low codes come from. So for some reason, it's interpreting or actually has a lot of uh, intake knocks coming out of the engine. So it could possibly be my intake knock sensor going bad? It could be that um, we've seen things like ECR coolers go bad. Uh, the EGR system just doesn't want to work because if the EGR system right. doesn't work, the NOx goes through the roof, and the only thing left to compensate is the death. You could have other things that are like you know a failed injector, a leaking injector. You could have a death leak somewhere. You know that's but we should keep it simple. Have you seen any sort of leaks from the system? No. Uh, and I've redone this whole entire depth system. I put several thousands of dollars into it. All the wiring harness, new depth doser, new uh, gauge and, and quality sensor, and I've done tons of things to this thing to keep it going. I just put new depth uh, DPF filters in it, not you know forty, fifty thousand miles ago. Uh, so it's it's been so much been done to the depth system that it's a real shame. Other than the other than the one box, I mean that's about it. It's a real shame the amount of money and, and headaches and downtime it takes just to maintenance these things. I know we talk about it all the time, but it's just, it's still always amazing and surprising for me to hear because I just don't have, like, to live that sort of life where you're always on, like, edge, like, is this thing going to get me to where I need to go? That has to be just <laughs> broke, so stressful for you guys. It broke, it broke down. I was hauling a beer loads out of Denver, going to California back and forth, and then Reno and all over, and it broke down three times on me within about a five-week, six-week period, and they all were death-related, and I ended up spending, like, twenty four dollars $25,000, and the only place I could take it to, because it broke down every time I got back to Denver, was the Kenworth dealer, the MAC Kenworth, they were charging me two hundred and fifty-one dollars an hour, and uh, they completely—they got me good. And let me tell you, there was no petroleum jelly involved. It was—it was ugly. And <laughs> oh wow, but yeah, wow. really ugly. They—they they wow. scouted me like I don't know what. But and I'm part Indian. I didn't appreciate it. But it, you know, it's just. <laughs> but anyway, so my guess is I, I'll run this thing. I'm back in the warmer temperatures now. And uh, I'm, you know, back up well, 50 degrees. This is the warmest I've seen above zero in two weeks or a week and a half, anyway. But uh, so 
what I'll do next, I'll, I'll fill it up, and all that stuff should be out of the system, back under decent temperatures, and run the next tank of depth, and then check it again and see where I'm at there. And if I'm running back up close to normal in the 180, 190, 200 miles a gallon range, then probably not worry about it. It was just probably the cold temps and getting false readings and adding all the additive of fuel treatment stuff I was adding, triple treatments. I just take it as maybe that was the reason. But if it's not, it's it's still running to a lot of depth through that it shouldn't be, then I may need to look at possibly inlet knock sensor or something like that. Yeah, unfortunately, at that point, you just got to get it back in the shop and see what's going on. That's the, that's the unfortunate part of it. Yeah. Uh, break out another Are, do, you live in, anyway. do you live in Denver, Colorado? No, I actually live close to the Kansas City area. Okay. Because Charlie Jones used to be the service manager at MHC in uh, Denver, and he was he's one of the top service managers in, the, in North America. And uh, there was a thing about health insurance, and they let him go. Boy, they made a huge mistake. Oh, they just, go. yeah. I won't take anything there ever again if I can keep from it. But I, I had no choice in the matter. I just there was no place else to go at the time, and I just let them do what they did, and nothing I could do about it. You know. So anyhow, I guess I'll I just get, uh, I'll check it out when next time I fill up and see what it does and see if I'm back to normal or not. All right. Okay. Let us know. Yes. Do. Uh, we will do. All right. We're going to grab another call. We are off to Oregon. Rick, welcome. Welcome, Kevin. Um, thanks for taking my call. I just wanted to get, I have a 2003 36-foot Tradewinds uh, motorhome, rear diesel pusher. It's got the Cummings ISC 350 in it with a 3006 speed in it, 488 axles on 22.5 Michelins. I was just mm-hmm. kind of curious if we, I know it's a, you know, basically a rolling box going down the road. So um, we made a trip down to California and back, and I averaged about 8.1 going down miles per gallon and a, right about 8.2 and a half coming back. And I was just kind of curious what what the sweet spot is. It seems like it wants to run about 1,600 RPMs, but I ran a little faster coming back to come home, and it seemed like I got a little better fuel mileage just by a tenth well, and a half or so. Well, hold on, because... I think on there, that engine, peak, peak torque is at 1,500, so you're right about that 16. 16 to 1,700 is where it wants to be. Yeah, peak torque but, on this is about 1,400, according to uh, specs. Okay. Uh, but, Rick, don't don't confuse something here. One factor that changed on the trip back was speed. But it's not the only factor. Right. Wind, temperature, right. traffic, terrain. There's there's so many other things. I can promise right. you this. That, right. yeah. that coach does not get better fuel mileage going faster. When you ask right. for the that's, sweet that's, spot. Yeah, I, I'm a long-time that, listener when you used to yeah, be on the other it, show and uh, first-time caller. And, yes, definitely slower is better. The, and um, but as far as you know, wind and everything, there was basically the same going down as coming back. Well, no, it wasn't type of deal. So, right. Rick, you you can't possibly know that unless you had a wind monitor on you the whole time. And even then, right. you can't figure it out. Sometimes we have crosswinds that affect our fuel mileage difference. Right. Sometimes we have diagonal winds. Sometimes we have a tailwind or a headwind, and it's changing all the time. That uh, all I'm saying is is don't 
assume we took a trip one direction, came back the other way, and speed isn't the only factor that changes. Everything else changes. In fact, this right. ca- this kind of uh, puts Bruce's theory to, to rest because you got better mileage going north. That's not supposed to happen. Right. Because you're going uphill when you go north. <laughs> well, one thing, nice, we're, we're in about the only part of the country, we're in southern Oregon, and it's about the only part of the country that isn't seeing really cold temperatures. <laughs> Yeah, and you're not that far away from us, and we're we're getting killed up here with crazy cold temperatures. Yeah, um, yeah. Here, yeah, here's I watched the meet. I watched, you've got the I same challenge the I've got with with my coach. There, there isn't even any What's point that? in figuring out what the sweet spot is because there's next to nothing I can do to change it while I'm driving. For example, if you look right. at the way we are specking trucks now. We have some trucks where we can actually spec three different top gears. You could run reasonable highway speeds in three different gears, an underdrive, a direct, and an overdrive. And all three can be efficient. So I could pick which speed I'm going to drive and which gear I'm going to use at any given time. With the six-speed Allisons, I have no choice. I'm going to go this speed, and it's going to be in this gear, and there's nothing I can do to change it. So I don't think about a sweet spot in my coach as far as RPM. All I think about is how fast do I need to get where I'm going and how slow can I reasonably drive? That's my only choice is speed. Right, right. right. Yeah, and I've been trying to go closer like you said. So you're you're the victim of what engineers don't understand with overdrive and engineers on the OEM level because that six-speed Allison, I think your sixth gear is 0.6. Um, so it's a forty percent over six six two or six and, three. I think it might be. You're right. It, it's really high gear ratio okay. in that overdrive. So what what they did was the entry level motorhomes back in the nineties ran I think a three seventy gear with the four speed Allison, and I think fourth gear was one to one. Then they came out with the world transmission and gave you six gears be the button that you can push for economy and regular. I forget what it says now. It's been a while. And the economy mode lets it shift way early. And if you're in rolling terrain or hills, it just makes the engine lug. It's a terrible setup. It is, yeah. But they then they took the 370s and went to the 488 gears. Right. Which was absolutely ludicrous. If they were going to do anything, they should have made first gear a little bit lower. Stayed with the 370s because the coach was getting coaches were getting bigger and heavier. Stayed with the 370s and made six gear be a 0.85. You know what I'm waiting for, and I don't know that it'll ever happen because nobody seems to care much about fuel economy in these coaches. I, I'd love to see somebody build a coach with one of these new modern auto shifts instead of the Allison. The new modern auto shifts shift just as smooth as the Allison does. Why not give me a good transmission with lots of gears that I could use? That's exactly right. You know, I had another question on the, uh, you know, of course, on the paperwork in this, it tells you not to use additives and all that. Uh, I was thinking about putting some of the mileage max in this. I was kind of reading up on that. And uh, would it be I, all right, right to use mileage max? 
Absolutely. Not only would it be okay, I wouldn't recommend running without it. Okay. Keep in mind, your coach, your your coach was designed prior to or right around what what year did you say it was? An O three. So O three. Well, it might have been designed for ultra low sulfur, but I think yeah, that I think the design the on your injectors and fuel system it still was designed when we had real diesel fuel and not the ultra low sulfur fuel. Right. So the catalyst, the max mileage fuel borne catalyst will really help you. And plus oh, okay. it'll keep the cool. engine clean inside. So Right, right, because this thing is not I bought it this way, but it it does uh it does have a propane boost system in it. I don't know how much that makes a difference yeah. in it, but it uh or you know, it, it being as old as it is, I I have the paperwork on when it was put in and stuff, but I haven't actually I turn it on mm-hmm. but it it does its own thing, so uh, I don't know how much that makes a difference in your in your the concept of it seemed like it would work, but I don't know how much it actually makes a difference on your in your motor. Uh, are you talking about using propane for better fuel economy? Well, it just had that. It just had a system on here that's tied into the propane tank because this thing has a huge propane t- has a sixty yeah. gallon propane tank in it. And now most that, of them that don't have that big and bigger coaches. It's an aftermarket, right? Uh, yeah, aftermarket. It was put on yeah. aftermarket. I think it's a company up out of Salem at the time. I don't know when it was actually put on I, here. So I did extensive uh, propane injection testing on heavy trucks, and it failed every single time. Failed to yeah. improve cost. I spent right. more money burning propane and diesel <laughs> than I spent just burning diesel. And you have now, in your case, it's not a big deal to go get propane. You have to go get it right. anyway. Um, in a heavy truck, right. the idea of needing to get propane was a total pain in the ass on the road. Finding some place open, oh, yeah. finding yeah. some place I could get in with a truck and trailer to get close enough to the propane pump to get propane. The cost is all over the board. There, There is absolutely no reason to run propane injection that I could find, none whatsoever. Now, again, on your, in your right. case, no big deal. You already have the propane tank. You got to fill it anyway, uh, but it's not saving you right. any money. Right, right. I, I, I did from when I, when you, I remember your shows before where you talked about that and, and that system. So, yeah. but it was, you know, basically on here when I bought the unit. So, yeah. Um, no, and, 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 I run and rel- you know, I run. It I makes run rel- sense. This only run. This only thing I haul. It's with it. Oh, shit! I got it now. It's only at twenty-seven thousand pounds. So it's pretty relatively light. That's with a fifty gallons of water and all hundred gallons of fuel in it. So. Yeah, that is pretty uh, light. Um, I was just kind of, I, I thought that was pretty good as far as the mileage. If you get, I was hoping to pull maybe a little better with it, but, um, when I, when I was just looking at them, you know, it, it, it's all the other factors, the aerodynamics, we got a lot of drag. We've got a lot of surface. Um, that transmission is horrible for fuel economy. I mean, the, the, the absolute best I can do on mine and I have got to baby it and drive about 55 to 60 and I can kind of come close to seven but most of the time right. I, I'm doing about five and a half in mine all right and how big of a how big of a motor you got in your coat uh, I've got a c13 
Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay, and then just I, can, uh, I, I just this does have that Econo mode tranny in it, and I just basically, you know, when you're pulling grades, and I'll I'll pull it down, my take it out of that, and I just drop a gear or something, and find the find the nice spot to where it's not shifting in and out of gear, so the climb hills and stuff. So yeah, um, there you go. I'll only use that economy economy mode when you're in traffic or in a city. Okay. And other than that, get it out of there because it ships too soon. And eight miles to the gallon was the average that all the 8.3 motorhomes got yep. back in the 90s when I was working on them. It was eight miles to yep. the gallon. Yep, that's about normal. Okay. Yeah, okay. Well, that's all I got for you. Thanks all right. much. Thanks for the call. Um, we do have another call i don't see it screened yet while we're waiting to screen that call hey bruce i've got a uh, i've got a financial lesson for you you want to hear some crazy numbers yes i i was doing this because i was reading an article as you were answering a question there I, i'm gonna need matt's probably listening i'm gonna want matt to run these numbers for me because i, I want to make sure i didn't make a mistake uh since i wasn't paying attention the reason i did this i read an article about a truck driver who just won a million dollars in the lottery. You know what he's going to do with his million dollars? He's going to buy a motorhome no. for the country. No, he's going to buy more trucks. I, I'd oh. love to get this guy in the air and talk to him, but there's something else here because I, I have a feeling he's not really financially savvy and taking a million dollars and buying more trucks might be a bad idea. But you know how um, most lotteries allow you to take the the full winnings the million dollars but they're going to pay it out over 20 years or you can take a lump sum and get all of your money right now that, that's pretty common i think almost every state offers that right so here right. are the numbers on this one if he wanted the full one million dollars he has to wait 20 years to get it and he'll get fifty thousand dollars a year or he decided he was going to cash out and he got 600000 to cash out, which is only 429000 after taxes. So I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to run some numbers here. I do have to go back and change something because I forgot about the taxes. So I'm going to do it. That wait, wait, wait. You said the million, he's only going to get 429. I thought no. they were going to take the 40%, which would give him the 600,000. Now, hold on. He, he can either get a million dollars total, but he gets it paid out over 20 years, $50,000 a year. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't want to go through and try to figure out the taxes on that. So I'm going to do it the opposite. I'm going to calculate both sets of earnings without any tax, which will still be equal. It wouldn't change anything. It's just faster for me to do it. So the calculation I'm going to use is I'm going to, to just, just to show you what's possible and how important time is when we talk about investments. We're going to take the 50,000, we're going to take the million dollars total and we get $50,000 a year for the next 20 years. We're not gonna spend any of it. We're gonna invest all 50,000 to see what we have at the end of 20 years. Or I'm going to take the 600,000, put it in my investment and wait 20 years to see what it is. Do you think there's gonna be a big difference here? The difference was 
way bigger than I expected. I knew there was going to be a difference. And I knew obviously getting the million dollars over time, I should end up with more money than if I only get 600000 But I thought, well, if I get 600000 right now and I can put it in my investment, maybe it'll grow a little faster. But here's the difference. I, like I said, I need Matt to, or I'm going to run this again later when I have more time to think about it. If we take the 600000 and we invest it at a 6% return for 20 years, you have 1.9 million. That sounds pretty darn good, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But if I take the 50,000 a year, I'm going to run this again for 20 years. I want to make sure this number was right because it almost seems just too shocking to me. No, it, it keeps coming up like that. If I start with $0 right now, but I put $50,000 a year into my account for 20 years at 6% return, I end up with over $22 million instead of $1.9 I find that hard to believe. I do too. That's why I keep running it through this calculator, making sure I'm doing this right. I have a I have a formula that I can go verify this, but I got to go pull out a spreadsheet somewhere and I don't have time to go do it. I'm going to run this later. I, but as far as I know, I'm doing this right. Yeah, that's just crazy. No, wait a minute. I am doing something wrong. What is it? So your interest on... No, hold on. Hold on. I just figured out where my... my result was incorrect. I, that's why I kept thinking this through. I knew I was doing something wrong. I've, there's a place in the calculator. It was adding $50,000 a month, not a year. Okay. That was part of the problem. All right. Here's the interesting thing. You're only going to make $3,000 a year at 6% on $50,000. Uh, no, you end up at almost the same place at the end of the 20 years. The difference is if you're not going to save it the whole 20 years, you would be better off. You end up with far more money if you just take the 50000 a year rather than give up that 400000 that you've got to give up to get it all now. The numbers were much, much closer when I, I, I knew I had an error there somewhere. Um, you do still end up with more at the end of 20 years. It's only a little bit more if you take the 50000 If you, he would be far, now, far better off. If you're, if you're a politician, you could turn that 600000 into $22 million in 20 years. Yeah, easy. You have to be a politician to you're do right. that. You're right. You're right. All right. Let's, uh, let's see if we've got another call, I think. Well, actually, we've got a couple calls. Um, we're going to get to him. Brad in Wisconsin, what's on your mind? Um, I got a million miles on my 5EK cat as far as the overhaul goes, but the engine itself has close to 2.4 million. I was wondering if you guys were concerned that it wouldn't be able to overhaul again the next time I wanted to. Well, what I would do is it ever had an out of the chassis? It has not. Uh, previous oil samples showed that the block is warped, the crank is bent because I replaced the bearing once because mm -hmm. of high lead in the oil sample. Yeah. Have you, uh, on that 5EK, every half a million, have you been changing the damper, the torsional Absolutely. damper? Absolutely. 
Okay, good. Um, I would take that engine. I love the 5EK. It has the least amount of stuff from the government in the ECM, and they do wonderful. They make great power and great fuel mileage. I would take that block and that crank to a good machine shop, and I'd ask their opinion, see if make sure they can uh, polish magnet flux and straighten the crankshaft, and make sure that whenever they go to do the block, they square the block, and see what they tell you. So, you know, something we're we're seeing here on high mileage cat and Detroit blocks is the deck surface is really bad. We had a 5EK that we did an outer frame on and the deck surface was warped some, uh, but the worst than that was where the water grommets go. Some of them were eroded um, 16 thousandths, which is quite a bit. So you're not gonna be able to clean that up decking it. Um, now there is water passage repair procedures that, that we did on it, uh, the machine shop did, we didn't do it here, um, which salvaged the block. But keep in mind, you do get a big expense when, when it, you have to have it decked and they put water passage inserts in. Um, the lower packing area, that is the area where the O-ring on the liners hold the, the liner in place, that can get deteriorated as well. And then you have to put sleeves in there. So you could get to the point where the block isn't repairable or if it is, it's going to be pricey just from the amount of miles that are on it. But you got to have a good. What do you think if he would if he would look for a Columbia or a Century that had a, a one LW six TS or something like that in it that was reasonable miles and just bought the entire truck and scrapped everything but the drivetrain and used that block? Yeah, definitely. Especially if it's a lower miles block. Uh, it should be in better shape. But we're seeing, yeah. just because of the age of these things and the amount of miles, we're seeing the blocks pushing their, their lifespan. So you're, you're rolling the dice. You really don't know until you get it apart if it's going to be rebuildable or not. I mean, I'm from Minnesota, but I was really looking to have you guys do it whenever mm -hmm. I get that far. Otherwise, that's the long shot because it's a NXS Acer Cat but I don't know if that would fit, if you could make that fit into a 97, or with all the emissions that won't work either. So, I mean, we you could use the block and the crank out of the NXS and build it. Back to, uh, with a, with my old ECM and everything. Yeah, we can make it work. work could, we, together. we might just have to swap some parts and some wires around, and we can make, we can we make could, that work. We could, okay. We could use the 40-pin ECM and not have to go to a 70-pin. Um, there, you, there you Maybe, maybe, yeah. yeah. Whether we went with the 70-pin ECM or the 40-pin ECM, you'd have a great engine. Oh, absolutely. I, this thing runs great. I know I talked to Kevin yesterday about my profits for last year. I figured out my fuel economy, 6.65 for the whole year out of a long hood. Yeah. Yeah, 5EK is a nice engine, except you got to keep the damper changed. I tell you, we put a manifold turbo, damper and balancer, and program a 5EK. The guy's calling you the next day, and he is smiling. Absolutely. I know I had a turbo aftermarket one for a while, and all that thing was great up until I lost all the water and had ended up having Caterpillar overhaul it for me, and they didn't want to put that full tilt, manifold, and turbo back on. 
It's a shame. It's a shame because that's a huge, that's about 80 horsepower without adding any fuel, the manifold and turbo to that engine. All right. Anything well, else we can help you with? An older truck, so. Nope, that's everything. All right. Thanks Thank for you. the call. Hey, uh, did anyone see, I think it was Gary Strait, put on uh, Facebook today the a barn find. It was an A-model Kenworth with a, a Caterpillar in it. I think it was the 400 cat without air-to-air from what I could see in the pictures. 17,000 original miles. Really? It was covered with bird and pigeon poop all over it whenever he first saw it. And they cleaned it all up. Wow. And uh, 17,000 miles. That's kind of crazy. Sure is. A few years back, I heard of some new Western stars from back in the, the early 2000s. They were triaxle dumps, and they were put into a barn, and the company borrowed their tires and wheels, and the trucks were brand new, and they sat in that barn for several years, and somebody found them. There no you go. tires and wheels on them. Yeah. All right, let's grab another call. We're going to head off to Ohio. Herschel, welcome. Hey, guys. What's on your mind today? Well, Bruce was talking about uh, gauge of cord to block heater. I have a block heater question, but before I go there, I used to use, you know, the standard outside extension cord. It was orange. I have no idea what gauge it is. And I melted the end of them dudes several times and an old timer says hey bud you need a heavier cord so i got that big heavy duty yellow one that lights up on the end and i haven't melted one of them yet i don't know what gauge it is but it's pretty heavy that's right <laughs> so on a block heater when i uh, bought my first truck in september of 1998 i've never had a dad uncle grandpa nothing so the only way i learned was talk to other drivers and owner operators and the old man told me, he said, now, son, let me tell you, when it gets wintertime, you take your truck home, the engine's warm, plug that thing in. As soon as you get home, you leave it. And he always called it plugged up because he was from West Virginia. You leave a truck plugged up until you're ready to start it and go again. And that's what I've always done. But here lately, in the last six, eight, ten months, I've run into a lot of guys that are putting a timer on their cord and setting it so that the timer comes on two hours before they want to start their truck and they claim they're not having any problems man i just don't know that big old hunk of steel block getting that cold what's your guys's opinion on that if if i was up in the dakotas right now or wisconsin and it's well below zero i would give it more than that when i was in colorado with my big cam i had a timer on it i gave it four hours four hours okay so if i was leaving at 6 a.m i had to come on at 2 a.m okay i just wondered i've always just plugged them in and left them plugged in well I don't think you need to burn that much electricity, but if you give it four hours and you're in Ohio, you should be okay. Okay. Well, I guess i got to go get me a timer. Maybe I can save a couple dollars and not give it to another. Now, now don't buy problem. a timer. Don't buy a timer at a hardware store. You have to have a commercial timer, so you have to go in an industrial electric supply place. I have heard that. Yes, I have heard that. Okay. Get that kind. 
Okay. All right, Bruce. Thank you. All right. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. That's going to wrap it up for today. I am going to go prepare for the next round of storms we've got coming. And uh, hopefully we've only got one more day or so of this, and then we'll get back to something resembling normal for a little while. Anybody have anything they want to close with? I do not. No, I thought that was... I thought that was really good what Leroy had to say about the fellow with the MX-13 and the DEF consumption. I learned something there. There you go. It makes it a good day when we learn something new. All right. We are going to wrap this up. Thanks to the team from Pittsburgh Power. If you have any other questions, give them a call. We will be back tomorrow for Destination Health. We will see you then. Be safe. Be profitable, be fit and healthy, always do the hard work and master the journey.